Hey everybody, I'm Two-Tone the Artist. And I'm Mr. Peach. Welcome back to the Hills Are Silent Podcast, where we chop, chop, chop it up about the games of yesterday, today, and the future. Let's rock. Mitch, we were out last week. Sorry to our listeners. We have busy lives on occasion. Sometimes we travel. Sometimes we have people visiting us during the week. And it just so happened both Mitch and I were busy. But uh, we're glad to be back. It really just gave us time to play some extra games, to come back to the podcast to talk about. So without further ado, Mitch, what you been playing, man? Yeah, I've... uh... I've actually, while I was pretty busy this week, I, I have completed a couple games that I was nearing the end already anyway, and one was more shorter experience. So, okay, uh, okay. I actually got to finish a couple, which is always a win for me, because typically, as we've talked about many times, I'm usually just adding on to my backlog and just buying more games continuously or fending off those urges. But uh, yeah, I actually uh, got to uh, put a couple uh, on... Put a couple away, finished them. So uh, the first one I want to talk about is the shorter experience. I, I'll uh, be quick on this one, but I want to give it its due. It is called The Last Campfire. And uh, this is a multi-platform game, but I was playing it on Nintendo Switch, and I will say it is a, it's a great Nintendo Switch experience. Uh, it was perfect for me. I was uh, I went back to Peoria for the weekend last weekend, my uh, hometown, and um, basically you know, brought my Switch home with me, needed something to play, forgot I bought it for like, I think I bought it for $3 maybe at one point when it was on sale. So very cheap game and uh, it's developed by Hello Games. And for those familiar with Hello Games, they are mostly known for No Man's Sky, which uh, they are actually still updating to this day, which uh, props to them for uh, continually updating a game that really did not had a very rocky launch i should say okay before we continue on with the last campfire yeah did you play no man's sky either when it first launched or after the million and one updates that brought it up to the game it is today no and honestly i probably should have given it a try at some because i believe it's on game pass now so i mean that's obviously a place where i could play it without having to purchase it necessarily but i've always been following its progress every time that they have a an update or anything i always read their patch notes because i was always just very curious because of like it was a very high profile rocky launch because this was one that many people were super excited about because i think they had some really good trailers some really good gameplay reveals when they had done it but then when the final product came out people were pissed and uh so i always just kept in you know just to check what's going on with them uh, and the fact that they stuck with it and actually like create a really good product i guess that people are really pleased with now you know that's a positive i'm not super into those type of games it's a very exploratory space game where it's kind of like create your own adventure by you know exploring the world that they created not usually my cup of tea but uh maybe i'll give it a try one of these days yeah and i, I agree with you on that when that game first came out and yeah, the hype hype train was full steam ahead when that game was announced and all the press they were releasing on it. But when I first saw that game, I thought the same thing. I'm like, this is not not my type of game. I'm not the target audience. So fortunately, I didn't jump on that hype train and didn't get disappointed because it really wasn't a game I was looking looking forward to anyway. But yeah, those games where 
where you just live in them and just kind of do whatever you want and open-ended. I know a lot of people love those, but I'm much more of like a linear story. Like, let me just, let me go through some story or go through some roller coaster ride of a, a linear campaign instead of me just trying to like live in a, in a world. Right. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. I'm, I'm very much the same type of gamer. I did put a lot of, uh, some hours into rust, which is a very similar type of game. And I think if I am going to choose one where I dive in and do my own thing, it would be rust. Um, but yeah, uh, shout out to hello games. I'm, you know, I'm glad I'm happy when people still put a lot of time and effort into something that the, you know, that was really rocky at the start because some people could literally just you know release it 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 flopped and they just never touch it again because you know a lot of times they're not going to make a whole bunch back by continually updating the game but i think they realized you know to save face and to really just show the fans of the game what it what they really wanted it to be uh they kept at it and good for them yeah but uh, back to the last campfire. Uh, this is uh, the, the game. I believe this is the game that they created after No Man's Sky, and it's very, very different than No Man's Sky. It is a puzzle game, uh, very primarily a puzzle game. You play as a, uh, a soul named Ember, who is looking for looking to free other forlorn souls who have lost their sense of purpose. So these forlorn souls, they look like they turned into stone. You find them throughout this world that they created, and essentially you're looking to light their fire again and give them purpose. Um, That's deep. That's very yeah. deep. Yeah, it, it's very deep. And I was looking, because I really I didn't understand the full story after I, I played it, and I, I read some... I read some stuff, just uh, some fan-made stuff, and even got some quotes from the team. And this is what they say about what the story is. It says, Like any good folktale, we hope to have left the interpretation of the story and message very open. We'd like to think that it is as much about the, what the player brings to the game as the game brings to them. And a lot of fans have kind of interpreted this, and I kind of agree after reading this, as these forlorn souls are actually it basically shows or it uh symbolizes depression or something like it's it, it's a game that over is about overcoming depression and finding purpose when you feel that all is lost which i think is i think that's very a very good uh you know a very good way of looking at it and i think the developers left it open and the fact that that's something that a fan looked into it at as I mean, I feel like that's pretty that's pretty spot on in my opinion. They have some very sad undertones in like the entire writing, so it is a very like sad game. There's not much that's super uplifting about it, but it's a very beautiful looking game. Really cool art style. Uh, the name Ember is very fitting because when you do save these forlorn souls and you relight their fire. Uh, it actually lights a, uh, this campfire that moves you on and opens a door and moves you to the next section of the game. Yeah. So I know a lot of people, when they, they feel down and depressed, they like to listen to happy music, watch a happy movie or something. But I've always been the opposite. If I'm sad and depressed, usually listening to sad and depressed music or playing a sad and depressing game has the opposite effect and somehow that that lifts my spirit. So this might be something I'd like to, to check out. 
especially if I'm feeling yeah. down one day or something. I'm, I'm actually the same type of way with music and other forms of media, so totally can relate there. And uh, another good thing about this game, it was it was a fairly short game. I only paid, I think, 3 or $4 on it, so I wasn't expecting a super big yeah. experience, but I beat it in only five hours. Okay, that's so, pretty short. Yeah, a short experience, which was, like, perfect for me, chilling in my basement at my dad's and, you know, like, having a little bit of downtime. So I'm just chilling, playing that for a few hours and finish it up here at home before bed. You know, I was playing a little bit, my bedtime games on my Switch. So yeah, overall, a, a really positive experience with it. So I, I like what they did. I'm happy that this game actually is very positively received from the jump, which is uh, not something that No Man's Sky had, but uh, not as, not as uh, I guess, full scale as No Man's Sky became, but yeah. And the, my I, only gripe was, uh, go ahead, actually. I was just going to say, I see on Steam it does have an overwhelmingly positive review score. It's typically $14.99, but right now it's on sale for $2.99 on Steam. Yeah, I think well worth it for a five-hour experience. The puzzles are not overly challenging. They're, you know, I, I feel like I figured, I figured the bulk of them out without having to sit around and look at it for too long. But, you know, challenging enough to where... You know, it made, it made the mind work and it uh, made my, my brain, you know, it gave it my brain a chill experience, but also, you know, some something where I needed to really focus. But yeah, overall, fun game. Only uh, only uh, gripe about it was in handheld mode on the Switch. It didn't run particularly well. And mm. for something that's not super graphically yeah. demanding, it was kind of shocking that it, it, it had some stuttering like pretty frequently when I was playing through it. Um, hmm. So that's my only gripe. I'm sure maybe if I plugged it up to the TV, my Switch, it may have run a little better. And I'm sure it runs great on Steam or any other platform. That is the last campfire. Uh, it, was a, it was a good short experience. And uh, my next one that I'm going to talk about was not that. <laughs> All right. Well, let's hold on that. I know you and okay. I both have a couple games. I figured yep. might as well switch off on it. Absolutely. Uh, so for me, I know on a previous episode we talked about how ea games is shutting down servers for a lot of old games including a lot of the old battlefield games so battlefield bad company 2 uh, and also i think battlefield 1943 which was an xbox 360 and playstation 3 exclusive so before the servers shut down i wanted to jump in and play some battlefield bad company 2 while I still can. Yeah. So I installed it on Steam and loaded it up the other day and just hopped in some multiplayer. So with any game that's old, especially ones that have been around, I mean, Battlefield, Bad Company. Okay, this came out in 2010. So yeah, this is a 13-year-old game. So it always makes me smile when I hop on an old multiplayer game and there's still active servers and there's still people playing it. So when I jumped into to this game, there really was only two servers that had people in it. And both of them were about full. So it's 32 player servers. So each one had close to that. Uh, there was one server that was just your standard rota map rotation and I kept getting kicked from it. It would let me play for a few minutes and it would kick me saying that I did not have the right version of Punkbuster installed. 
but I had the latest version. So I don't know what was going on with that. So I was forced to play on the only other server. Now my only gripe with that is it was the same map over and over and over and over and over and over again. And this seems to be a trope for old multiplayer games. It's like as the the player base dwindles, eventually everybody just gravitates towards one or server, maybe two servers that just play everyone's favorite map like 24/7. And like I get it, you want to go to like right to the the best map, but man, it, why? Why like I don't want to just play, especially with this game about about ready to get shut down. I don't want to just have my last memories and last times playing it just only being one map over and right. over and over and over again. And it, it always happens. I remember the last time I played Return to Castle Wolfenstein, it was the same thing. I think it was like the beach invasion map, and then that was the only thing people were, were playing. It was just out on, on repeat. But it's like, dude, part of what makes a great map is playing a crappier map and then coming mm-hmm. back to it. Like, you kind of need those uh, peaks and valleys. Like, you can't just be, like, always on it's the like, best of everything all the time. You just kind of become numb to it after a while. So why is, th- why is that? Have you encountered that in any old multiplayer games? Like, I know even Counter-Strike you- sometimes, well, like, dust-only servers. You were literally, that's, that's exactly where I was going. Uh, yeah, I make sure, my friends and I make sure, because some of my friends would much rather just play like a few maps that are the good ones in counter-strike but we always make sure we work as many as we can in the rotation that are you know even if they're ones we're not super familiar with we have friends who are like man i suck at that map so like you know like, i don't want to play it i'm like well you suck at it because you don't ever you're not used to playing on it once you like actually play a few times you'll realize it's not that bad <laughs> yeah but man, but yeah, Dust Two is definitely a good example because I'm I'm sure people just play that over and over and over again. Oh yeah, on Counter Strike, there's so many servers that are like Dust only or Dust Two only. Uh, but yeah, Battlefield Bad Company Two, man, that is that is a great game. The multiplayer is as fun as ever. The graphics still look really good, and it was just a blast to just play this and. Uh, unlock weapons and blow up all the buildings because they have their real-time destruction where you Mm -hmm. can level every single building on the map and as the the match progresses that changes the strategy because maybe you were you were hiding away or you were uh holding down a waypoint by hiding in a certain building and then eventually the opposing team levels that building to the ground completely destroys it and then you have to find another vantage point to hold down that waypoint yeah it's classic uh, battlefield gameplay uh and then that real-time destruction that became a really big thing around battlefield but uh, it made me remember if i don't know if you remember the game that kind of introduced that but it was called mercenaries playground of destruction i'm I've not sure heard if that of that i've never played you. it though they all they were like super big into that real-time destruction everything can fall apart around you and yeah battlefield does that better than anyone yeah and it's crazy that they were doing it in 2010. Yeah. And, and yeah, there was a couple games like that. There was also Red Faction Guerrilla, mm-hmm. where you could destroy mm-hmm. everything. And that was, the whole gameplay was like built around that. <laughs> but the thing that baffles me is I remember when physics first started 
becoming a thing in video games. It used to be like everything in a, in a level was static. You couldn't you couldn't knock a chair over or knock a table over or break a window or anything unless it was like really scripted within the game code. But then all of a sudden the Havoc physics engine came out and a bunch of game developers licensed that and then you got people like Valve Software who built upon that with Half-Life 2 and basically that was the core of the gameplay in that too and it was just it was mind blowing that all of a sudden all this stuff was reacting how it would in real life and then yeah it seemed like after all that came out the next natural progression was real time destruction mm-hmm. and you've got these games like Mercenaries or Battlefield Bad Company or um, Crackdown I feel like was a big one too yeah and it was it was awesome and all of a sudden I thought every game going forward is going to have this where just every building is going to be destructible, every everything is going to be destructible. And then it seemed like for some reason, even though it was head, the industry was heading in that direction for a while, it just veered off course. And then now you really don't see that in games too often, which is crazy because it's impressive to me that these games were able to do this back in the you know late 2000s and early 2010s, especially on yeah. PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360. So I can't imagine the level of destruction that the current game engines would be able to produce if developers actually incorporated that into the games. But I don't know. I haven't played the new Battlefield, so I don't know if they're even still I don't know if they're even still doing destruction in their games, are they? I've not played it yet either. I I can't even remember the last new one that I played, to be honest yeah, with you. I've, I don't know. But uh anyway, yeah, this was really fun. I don't think the server shut down until like October. So definitely going to play this some more before I uninstall it and say goodbye forever. Sad. Very sad. Anyway, that was uh, that was my romp with Battlefield Bad Company 2. What you got next on the list? Yeah, we're we're just going to we since we've been on a break, we've been we've been churning and playing games, man. It's it's been a nice to have a week off but glad to talk about these and this one i'm excited to talk about because it's i've been playing it for a while and hinting that i've uh i've been working my way through it but the this one is uh called final fantasy 7 and this is the remake which is uh, on playstation 4 and believe and exclusively to playstation 4 and i am so pleased to say that it was an excellent experience and I always play, I, I love Final Fantasy games, and this is probably one of my favorites of all time. They did such a good job with the remake of this, but there's there's a lot to unpack with it because there are people that are a little not so thrilled about it uh, in some aspects. So Final Fantasy VII Remake is a, is a full remake of the 1997 Final Fantasy VII. It does change some of the story elements. It's actually only the first part of the seventh game, the original seventh game, because what they're trying to do is they're changing the story to fit a much larger game narrative, uh, which they are going to put into another series, which they actually they just released a new trailer of it today, which is going to be Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. So this is the Final Fantasy VII Remake. This is the first part of the story, and Rebirth is the next one that's coming out, uh, I believe, at the end of this year. So or early next year. So they kind of switched it up. It is Final Fantasy VII, but they did change some some things story-wise and narrative-wise as long as well as a, a few other things as, as such as the combat. Um, 
Before I go into the combats, the story of the game itself, you play as Cloud Strife, which Cloud is obviously one of the you know most popular people, characters in all of Final Fantasy. Uh, he's a former Shinra soldier turned mercenary who joins an eco-terrorist group, which is known as Avalanche. Uh, Avalanche is trying to take down this Shinra corporation who's been draining the planet's life energy. And I wanted to uh, bring this by you, Mike, because I, I know you've, you have played some Final Fantasy. Does it seem like Square Enix always likes to tie in some sort of political statement or corporate takedown in a lot of their games? I feel like they're always, the, no matter how futuristic, how what era of the world it's in, you know, there's always some corporation or political structure they're trying to take down, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that just goes hand in hand with art in general. Art sure. is a good way. Art is a reflection of reality, and it's also a good way to put a mirror to our world in a way that makes us look at it differently, but oftentimes more honestly. And a lot of games do have political themes, especially if they're trying to make the game really grandiose, which I feel like Final yeah. Fantasy is always going for. And anytime video games have things about taking down big corporate entities, I always kind of laugh inside because I'm like, is this the developers working on this game, like secretly trying to stick it to whatever bigger company they work for, like maybe their publisher or something? Um, but anyway, yeah, uh, I've played a lot of Final Fantasy games. Surprisingly, I never played the original Final Fantasy VII. I played Final Fantasy VIII on PlayStation 1, but never Final Fantasy VII, even though I know that was always regarded as probably one of the best. Uh, yeah, I had not played the original Final Fantasy, but did a lot of reading because I had heard flack from friends or other people in the media basically talking about how the story was different. And I we see what they're doing now with trying to create multiple games within these remakes and then also maybe switch up the story a little bit so it can easily connect to sequels. But... Yeah, I've not played the original seven, but I, I have also heard that it's very, very good. Some people still prefer it over this remake, even though this remake, they really made it beautiful. It's graphically stunning. And I read it says uh, every element has been remade using real time polygonal graphics as opposed to the pre-rendered environments of the original. Yeah, which was typical on PlayStation one. A lot of those games to get more graphical fidelity, it would be just the characters that are actually being rendered with static backgrounds that were pre-rendered. I mean, that's that's what Resident Evil did for its its backgrounds in Final Fantasy and in many other games. And it worked. At the time, it looked beautiful. And if you were playing the games on a old CRT television with the low resolution and just the fuzziness, you wouldn't even be able to tell. You just no. thought that the PlayStation 1 looked amazing for its time. But nowadays, if you play those PlayStation 1 games on a high-definition TV, you can clearly see there's a separation between the background and the characters. It becomes way more apparent and kind Definitely. of breaks the illusion. Yeah, so I, I'm just very impressed by how they took these assets of Final Fantasy VII and, and completely remade it into what it is because, man, the, the cutscenes are captivating. They're they're 
very movie like and the stories you know the story is great as as it was told uh, in parts of seven and I, i'm like super pumped now it, it timed really well for me because they actually just showed a new trailer for final fantasy 7 rebirth uh today uh, actually during the uh, summer game awards which was which is pretty cool so it was, it was it was nice that they finished it last night and then got to see a new trailer for for the sequel coming out so i'm excited to play that um they also did alter the uh the combat a little bit and the combat was a lot of fun to to mess around with and do certain combos and whatnot they call it uh active time battle which is abbreviated as atb and basically you have an atb meter that gradually fills up slowly and can fill up faster when you're attacking or landing certain moves or whatnot and then once that meter goes up you have two of them so you can either you can either use it if you have one meter or two meters some skills that you use have two meters and you can use both of them to fire maybe power more powerful moves or skills but also if you use something like if you use items or if you um are trying to use some healing prayers or whatnot like those cost atb meters too so sometimes like you get in a bind where you don't have enough atb meter to either heal yourself to maybe use a move that's weak to certain bosses so you have to keep pumping the basic attacks like the punches and shots and sword until you can build up that meter hmm. and it's a really fun like mix of everything i love about jrpgs because it combines that third person almost like adventure style hack and slash a little bit um but also brings in more turn-based rpg stuff with using that atb meter because when you hit x to trigger you to do a move or to use an item or a spell uh like everything goes in slow motion so it's like i'm having to like go and click whatever i want to use whatever i want each character to use and then it hits slow motion then when i unpause it or i i hit my move it goes back into fast motion your character will use that move or use that item and you're doing that while controlling typically three characters. You rotate between Cloud, but also a couple other characters like Barrett, um, Antifa, and whatnot. So it's pretty, it's pretty neat combat system. I really enjoyed it. Didn't get bored of it. Like I was, it overall great game. I could talk about it forever, um, but I'm excited, and it makes me like want to play another Final Fantasy now because it's like, man, I got. They scratched that itch, and now I want some more, even though I put 50 hours into this Final Fantasy. <laughs> and when this game came out, I remember Square Enix saying what you mentioned, how they're going to split it into two parts. And at first, I was totally cool with that. What upset me was when I found out that the second part was only going to be released on PlayStation 5. So... I did pick this game up on PlayStation 4. I have not played it yet. GameStop was selling it for $7. Oh, wow. And this is crazy. It's crazy to me because this game came out, and very shortly after it came out, it was the free monthly game on PlayStation Plus, which was awesome. But I was very shocked at how quickly they, they gave that away as a free game. And then shortly after that, it dropped in price at GameStop all the way down to $7. And we're talking like less than a year after the game came out, which kind of really surprised me because this is a, a newer game that 
sold really well and I would assume was continuing to sell well, got really good reviews, and for it to just drop in price so drastically was kind of surprising. But, yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I was actually just uh, I was reading when I was uh, looking up some stuff about the game. It, it became one of the fastest-selling PlayStation 4 games, which sold more than 3.5 million copies within three days. Wow. Which, I mean, that's... And over five million by August of 2020. Like so, it, it sold really well. Yeah. So yeah, very interesting that they they gave it away. But I took advantage and claimed it. <laughs> yeah, me too. And I think GameStop has since raised the price again. Uh, yeah. Just out of curiosity, let's see. It's always weird to me when a game drops super cheap and then like you go to look at it a few months later, and it's freaking. Mm -hmm. Price has gone back up for some reason. Yeah, now they're selling it for twenty dollars. So anyway, I was able to snag it in that window of time when it was only seven bucks, because uh, I definitely wanted a physical copy of this. But I have no plans of getting a PS5 anytime soon. So it would have been nice to have the complete part one and part two of the remake yeah. both on the PlayStation Four. And yeah, I'm sure it'll release on PC. And that's fine, but yeah. Anyway, but it is what it is. Because while it probably released on PC at some point, you just see how far behind these games take to get a PC port. I mean, if you look at even like God of War at this point, while the first one's on PC now because the first God of War has been out forever, God of War Ragnarok just still does not have any sort of PC date that is going to come out and no news about it dropping or releasing in there either. So. Who knows when this would ever come out on PC? Yeah, and speaking of the first part of Final Fantasy VII Remake, it released on PlayStation 4 on April 10th, 2020. And then it released on PC in December 16th, 2021. So a year and a half later. It's a long time to wait for... Uh, Wait for the PC version. And now I think the only version you can get is the Final Fantasy VII Remake Integrade, which is yep. it's like kind of like the definitive edition that they ended up re-releasing on PlayStation 5. It's got the the base game and also I think like an extra DLC it's an extra chapter. Side story or something yeah. that's not really super necessary. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, man, I will check this out. Someday. I don't know if I'm ready to dive into that 50-hour JRPG just yet, but it sounds like a good game. Yeah, it was it was amazing. I, I burned through it real quick. It was hard to put down once I got started. Yeah. What we got next, Mike? I know you're, uh, you've are you been playing one that I'm pretty excited to hear your first impressions on. Yes, actually. and I'm actually going to hold you and our listeners in suspense because I'm going to save it for the next episode. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. So... Give, give you some more time to put some hours into it and give a, give a full impression. Yeah, I mean, I was playing it some more last night, and to be honest, I'm still kind of on the fence about it, and I just don't know if it's because I'm not far enough or if it's just not that great of a game, so I want to give it more of a chance before I really speak on it. My other cousin, uh, Drewby, uh, he uh, finished it and uh, said said very much the same thing as kind of you're saying right now. You... Really? Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. We'll, we'll dive into that next episode. I'd like to know. What we'll leave it on that cliffhanger. 
All right, so the next thing I'd like to talk about is, again, going back to GameStop. I went into one not that long ago, and I always gravitate right towards the PlayStation 4 section because that's the only console I really have right now, or at least the only console that GameStop sells games for. Obviously, I got retro consoles and older stuff. Sure. But, uh, yeah, I usually gravitate towards that section, but something... Something told me like, hey, let me let me look at these other consoles. Like, what I know Xbox has the same games, but how are the prices comparing to PlayStation 4? So I went over to the Xbox One and Xbox Series X section, and yeah, the prices were were very similar to PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5. But then I go over to the Switch section, and oh my God, Switch Nintendo Switch is too rich for my blood. At least if you're buying physical games. I don't know how they are on like their digital store sales or anything like that. But just about every game. The cheapest games there were $20. But most of them were $25 and $30. Bucks. And if you go over to the PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X section, you'll find games for under $10. You'll find a lot of games for under $10. A lot of good stuff. And then on Switch, even the crappy games are like $25. So what is the deal with that? Like, why why are Switch games never dropping in price? And you as a Switch owner, do you see this? And, and what's it like on the on the online store? Is it the same yeah. thing there? I was just going to go into that. Yeah, the, the online store is very similar to the retail, uh, the retail experience, for sure. They don't... For at least their first party games, like very all, basically every first party Nintendo game, at most I see a typically a twenty percent discount. You know they're they're very small. They do do one kind of cool thing, but it's still not even that good of a deal. But because it's Nintendo, it it is kind of a good deal for them, their standards. Where on the online store, they have a. I guess it's it's what they call a like hundred dollar coupon thing that they do, and for a hundred dollars you can get two games, two digital games essentially. So basically, you're getting both of them for fifty dollars, which is a ten dollar savings on both of them. But like when it comes to first party Nintendo, like that's the best you get. Wow, man. Um, one of the examples I wanted to bring up was. Zelda Breath of the Wild. So we all know that the latest Zelda game just came out. The sequel to Breath of the Wild just dropped. And Breath of the Wild was, correct me if I'm wrong, that was a launch title for the Switch, right? It was, because it was actually a Wii U title as well. Yeah, so we're talking about a pretty old game here. And if we're just specifically talking about the Switch version, this game came out in 2017. And I was just saying that Final Fantasy VII, within a year of it coming out, it had dropped down to $7. And then now it's since gone back up to 20 but still pretty reasonable. Zelda Breath of the Wild, according to PriceCharting.com, which is a great website, by the way, if you're into collecting retro video games, because it basically aggregates the average price of, of games out in the world uh, a complete copy of Zelda Breath of the Wild right now is averaging $40 
for a six-year-old game that has sold millions of copies. So it's one thing if a game is didn't sell very many copies or not very many copies were printed, then it's supply and demand. There's not a lot out there, so you might have to pay more to get your hands on a copy. But there has got to be like a literal sea of Breath of the Wild copies for Nintendo Switch out in this world. And it's not a supply and demand thing. So why is this game still $40 after all this time? Yes, it's a great game, but so are a lot of other games that are way cheaper. It's funny that uh, I was actually, as I said, I was in Peoria. I went to Mega Replay because I always go and look at the Wii U section because I am, I am a Wii U collector since I own one. I like to try and get as many of the, the good games in my catalog, and I noticed that Breath of the Wild for Wii U, you can get it for about 20 bucks. For, which I mean is still you know still kind of high, but a way steeper discount than what we got going right now. Yeah, with the Switch. Yeah. Anyway, didn't don't have a whole lot on this topic, but that was just kind of my rant. I've yet to pick up a Nintendo Switch, and I know a lot of people who are physical game collectors love the Switch because there are so many great games on the console, including exclusives to it, or re-releases of older games, or, or just indie games. It's a great place to build a collection. But yeah. I'm also really cheap at heart, and uh, yeah, I, I can't imagine myself trying to build a Switch collection, at least not with the current prices. Yeah, a good segue into our, our next topic. My buddy, the only, like, I really wanted that Skyward Sword remake that they put onto the Switch. Oh, yeah. And they've just been keeping that retail at 60 bucks, and I've not seen it budge. Like, what? It's like, this is a Skyward Sword remake. Like, this is a, you know, like, it, it is an older game still at heart. Like, it's not anything. Yeah, I'm interested to see what it is now when you look it up. But w while you're doing that, um, yeah, for my buddy. For a used copy, a complete used copy, the average price is thirty-eight dollars and fifty cents. Okay. So, which yeah. still, it's a, it's a, while it is a a remake, it's still a fairly old game on its own. Um, but the only reason, like I, I, I got it was because we did one of those buy one get ones at GameStop. I was like, he's he basically got a game that he wanted. I got a game that I wanted, and we split the cost down the middle, and then we, uh, we I mean, that was the only way it was going to, I'm like, otherwise, like, I'm never buying this. <laughs> All right, so speaking of buy one, get one, I think you were telling me that GameStop's doing another one of those buy one, get one deals, which they do every couple of weeks. But uh, it's not, as much as I appreciate that, and even sometimes when they do like the buy two get one for free, mm -hmm. even that can sometimes be a good deal. Yeah. But you and I have been kind of looking underneath the surface and noticing a little bit of uh, shadiness going on with these sales, which is not it's not uncommon. A lot of retail stores, uh, there's some smoke and mirrors behind their sales. But this in particular, I think, is getting a bit outrageous uh, for for a few reasons. So, as we said, GameStop has a lot of buy one, get one, or buy two, get one. And 
while it's a great deal on the surface, I was actually messing around with my cart and like doing, seeing if I wanted to buy a couple games to get one free and just kept, I couldn't add up to get to the free shipping aspect. And I, I don't, I didn't know what it was at that point and come to find out they have raised that free shipping threshold to now $79, which I think is a one, a very random number and two, <laughs> a very high number for people that buy, you know, one game or a couple games like i feel like it would be very hard to reach that number with using the deals that they give you available so essentially whatever deal you have you're automatically adding an eight dollar shipping charge to every order you have in addition to that they give you the option to pick it up in store, which I think, hey, that's great. There's GameStop still open everywhere. I would love to just drop by and pick up these games in store and avoid that shipping charge. Well, I think there's a bit of shady business practice going on with that as well, because no matter what game it is, whether it's new or used or whatever, they they always say that the game is not available in any store. And I look at every store in the Chicagoland area. There's so many of them. Yeah, you telling me in all of Chicago, not one GameStop has these games in stock. And I'm not looking for niche games. Like, they're, they're very popular games that should have many copies of them, or at least a few at one location of the many in Chicago. Yeah. And and I'll say, I've run into the same thing. Getting on, Going on their website, especially during these buy one, get one free deals, I'll search, and it'll always tell me, yeah, no stores nearby have this. And then I will go to the GameStop, buy my house that same week, and lo and behold, what's on the shelf? The game they claim they don't have in stock. And just to make sure I'm not crazy, I'll look it up on my phone and be like, maybe somebody just traded one in since yesterday when I looked it up. And it will still say it's not in stock at this store. And here it is. I'm holding in my hand is clearly in stock. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if that's some trickery to get you to order it offline, force you to order on the website, or if it's just that their uh, inventory is just that out of sync at all their stores, which is that also could a very possibility. Well be the case too. Yeah. Yeah, and you were saying, and I didn't know this part that uh, they kind of are sneaky with those buy one get ones. Yes, and, and another thing I noticed was they will raise the prices of the games during their buy one get one free sales. So same thing, I check GameStop online frequently for mm-hmm. deals. So one week I'll be looking at it and all these games will be like super cheap, $7.99 or whatever. And then when they do their buy one get one free sale, all of a sudden these games are now $14.99. So you're essentially still, you're maybe only really saving a dollar because if they were if two games were $7.99 and now they're both $14.99 yeah you're saving like two bucks during this buy one get one free deal you're not really buying one and getting one free it's like it's it's a bad cycle of bad business practice because while us as consumers wanted to shop online and we were totally fine with going into the store and picking up the games for whatever reason, you know, the shipping charge is, is there. They raise the threshold. We can't do any of that. But if we just want to go and do the in-store experience from what we talked about in the last episode, 
There are not very good conditions in these game stops. A lot of times these employees are already overwhelmed. So that experience isn't even a good experience because if we just want to go in and pick up games without having to do the shipping charge or anything else, I mean, these employees are overwhelmed. They may not be aware of any deals. You could run into instances where you ran into, Mike, where like prices are different than what you show online compared to what it is in the store. I mean, it just kind of goes to show why GameStop is where it is, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. And and going back to the them raising the free shipping, yeah, it used to be $35. used to be as long as you bought $35 worth of games or more, you got free shipping. And now crazy. they have more than doubled that, which is crazy, especially in a world where Amazon exists and, like, Companies are not necessarily doing away with shipping costs, but they're really keeping it the minimum or faking free shipping or even like ordering stuff off off eBay. Like shipping charges are very low and we've all been spoiled by it. So to have to pay for shipping, like I totally sound like spoiled guy here, but I, I scoff at having to pay for shipping. Like, just lie to me. Just charge more for it and tell me the shipping's free. Like, right. psychologically, I'll take it better. I think it, it well, I'll wrap this up with this, but uh, you could combat that $7.99 shipping charge if you're a pro member like I am. Um, I don't know when I became a pro member, but I guess I still am. But every month <laughs> they give you a $5, <laughs> they give you a $5 coupon just to use on whatever yeah but with these five dollar coupons whenever i try to pair them with these buy one get one deals or like really just anything it never works unless it's just like a full price game that i'm paying for so it's like what is the point of like all the restrictions on this five dollar coupon if i can't even use it to help me combat shipping or whatever oh interesting because yeah one time i went in there and the cashier was trying to sell me the the pro membership and they're like you'll get five dollar credit every month but yeah they didn't it's not a real credit yeah they didn't disclose to me that it doesn't apply to sale items which is all i ever buy so that yeah that would be completely useless to me interesting all right well uh i don't know you got anything else to cover on this topic no, just frustrating because like I've I've actually gotten some pretty good deals on GameStop uh, throughout the years shopping online and getting them shipped to me and some of those buy one get one buy two get one like whatever it is like th they were good at a time it's kind of sad that it's going away. Yeah. All right. Anyway, we're gonna flip the script here instead of uh... oh actually oh I almost skipped one of our main topics so. You and I are going to choose what the next game is that the other person is going to play. And we'll cover it in our next episode. And Mitch, I scoured your Steam list to see what games you have that you've never played. And I landed on Psychonauts. So... I'm requesting that you install and play Psychonauts, the 2005 original game, mm -hmm. from your Steam list, and let me know if you like it. I'm happy with this choice, because I've, uh, I've seen the second one that they just recently came out with on Game Pass, but I've been hesitant to go at it because I wanted to play the first one. So this is going to force me to get into that, and I'm excited to... Uh, I did install it today as well, so I'm ready to go. 
All right, perfect. And I made sure it had controller support because a lot of those older mid 2000 games, they're kind of they're iffy with the controller support. Sometimes they have it, sometimes they don't on PC. And especially a game like a platformer, I just feel like that would be horrible sure. to play with keyboard yeah. and mouse. So you're good to go. You should be able to play it in the comfort of uh, your living room or wherever with a in controller. The comfort of my office chair here that I'm sitting in currently. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just kick it back, grab that Xbox yeah, controller, and go through it. Yeah, I so I did the same for you, and I scoured your Steam library first. And while there were some... There were some options on there. I did notice that you had played the first two games of this uh, of this series. And what I landed on is Shadow Warrior 3. And that is actually on Game Pass, which uh, good for you that you have that subscription. Easily, easy install. And you can also uh, go at it wherever uh, you want to play. Yep, good choice. So like you said, I did play Shadow Warrior 1. Well, let me... Let me reiterate, I played Shadow Warrior 1, the remake, because mm. Shadow Warrior was originally a much older first-person shooter game that released on PC back in the 90s. I never played the original version, but I did play the remake, and I did play Shadow Warrior 2. And what interests me about the series is that both Shadow Warrior 1, 2, and 3 are completely different games. So the first game was a very linear first-person shooter. Uh, it almost kind of reminded me like Serious Sam or something like that, okay. where you're just going through these yep. levels, they're just throwing a million enemies at you, and you're either chopping them up with your samurai sword or blowing through them with whatever guns you have. It was kind of like a mindless shooter, but it was fun. And then Shadow Warrior 2 was totally a Borderlands clone. So they added co-op to it, and it was it was a looter shooter. Wow. And that one, I don't know, it, it was a cool game, but I just couldn't quite get into it. All the games have really beautiful graphics, and they're very colorful. But Shadow Warrior 2 almost had, like, too much going on to where it was, just like, hurt my eyes. It was hard to look at. There was just so much detail and so many different colors. It was just hard to make out anything or, like figure out where you were in the level like there was i don't know it was like sensory overload sure uh but me and my buddy played some of that and we had fun with it in shadow warrior 3 they've gotten rid of the co-op which is sad and but they've gone back to i think a more linear single player game and i think it's more of kind of like a doom clone as far as like the newer dooms so, yeah, yeah and it's one that i i looked at and i really want to give it a try so i'm i'm gonna let you you go for it first and let me know your thoughts all right uh, i'll give you the recommendation great, yeah. all right cool so yeah next episode we'll uh report back on the uh, game selections yep all right so the last thing i want to go over is i've been trying to sell some stuff on facebook marketplace and some of it is games i mean my my video game collection is bursting at the seams. I'm never going to play it all. It's time to sell off some of the stuff. Uh, and I've also sold a few other things on Facebook Marketplace. But, man, and I used to sell stuff on Craigslist. And I think I sold some stuff on OfferUp, too. And I don't know if I'm just... 
remembering incorrectly, but I don't remember selling stuff being such a headache as it is on Facebook Marketplace. So first of all, if I put something on Facebook Marketplace, I'm just trying to get rid of it. So I'm selling it at a steep, steep discount, just somebody, anybody. Come give me mm-hmm. 10 bucks, just take this, this stuff, I don't need any more. But I will list stuff and I will get 100 people hitting me up and it always starts the same. It's always like, hey, is this still available? And I always respond the same. I say, Mm -hmm. yes, it's still available. When do you want to get it? And then I just never hear anything again. And I'm like, why are all these people reaching out to me if they have no intention of buying this? And I'm not talking about it happening once or twice. Like the majority of people do this. Like one out of every 100 people actually replies and comes and buys whatever I'm selling. Like, I get it. I get it. You might be a window shopper. You might go on Facebook Marketplace, look at all the cool stuff with no intention of ever buying it. But why would you even bother to message me if you have no intention on buying it? So it's just been frustrating, man. It's just, it's it's a game of patience and it's like a numbers game. It's like a dating app. It's like one out of every hundred person is actually going to be compatible with this Facebook marketplace sale. That's a great way to compare it. But, oh, man, I I don't know. Have you ever tried selling anything on Facebook marketplace or the other other platforms as well? Yeah, I've actually I've used Facebook marketplace offer up. um, And I think uh, let go is another one that uh, same experience. They're all not great facebook marketplace though i think is while it's probably the most popular right now it's it is by far the worst experience that i've had as well i don't know if you ran into this though because i was just moving actually as as we've talked about in previous pods and i was trying to get rid of everything that i didn't need anymore i was getting rid of like couches and stuff that i was going to recycle and get or i was going to get rid of and get some new furniture um it came down to where I literally had to start giving stuff away for free because nobody was nobody serious was coming and like giving me any sort of real feedback or not responding to me or stuff like that. And eventually I did get rid of everything, but it it was a full time job almost like thankfully I had some PTO to move because I'm like on my phone, like trying to get people to get this for you know, for weeks at, at some points. So I'm like, I am moving soon. Like, I need this gone. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a bad experience, but I don't know if you ran into this too. There are a lot of bots on it too, I want to say. Hmm. There's, it's just people, because I, I see the same response from some people. Like, it'll be like, hey, is this available? I'll say, yeah. And then the next one will be like, great, my uncle will come and get it later or something like that. And I see the same thing of my uncle's coming to get it later. <laughs> like four or five times, like not everybody's uncle is coming <laughs> to get this stuff. <laughs> Like, it seems very odd that it's your uncle, too. Yeah, that's weird. I have not encountered any of that. But I do, every time somebody reaches out to me, before I even respond, I look at their profile and just make sure it's like, okay, does this look like a real person? Is there, how old is their profile? I, try, I do try to see if it might be a bot before I even bother responding. I, I don't understand bots with buying, though, because like they're the ones that are supposed to, like, for selling, maybe, because maybe they're trying to have you give them money or something. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's hard to tell, and it's probably not not wise to go all the way through the motions of the scam to figure out what their end game is. Yeah, exactly. 
Hmm. But yeah, that's that's my experience too. I know other people that have probably had similar experiences. I've had some some wins with buying and whatnot. But yeah, it's my my dad. Shout out shout out to my dad. He loves Facebook Marketplace and he's always venturing out getting some musical equipment or something. Oh, nice. But yeah, he's gotten some good stuff. But from my overall experience, has not been great. Maybe in the smaller cities, it's not as big of an issue. But yeah, and that could definitely be the case. Yeah, maybe people are more honest and more about their business on there because it, it should be a simple process. Hey, this still available? Yeah, it is. When you want to come get it? I'll get it Tuesday. Okay, I'll meet with you on Tuesday. Meet with you on Tuesday. Here's the cash. Give me the thing. We're done. That's it. It's not yeah, a complicated like, process, people. In the buying role, like I've never been a person that's like ghosted somebody like when I have told them I am interested in wanting to buy it. Like, yeah, same here. It if I'm odd. If I'm reaching out to you, it's because I actually want it and I intend to come buy it. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's, it's a goofy world out there. That it is. All right, man, I think that about does it for our episode. Anything else you wanted to touch on before we sign off? No, happy to be back. Happy to be back in the routine, turning out some podcasts, giving some content. Thanks, everybody, for uh, for viewing, sticking with us. It's uh, We're just continually having fun. <laughs> yeah. All right, you can find all our episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and uh, our social media platforms are. Mitch, you want to let them know what those are? Yep, our Twitter is at the Hills Are Silence. Our Instagram is Instagram backslash Hills Are Silence. Our TikTok is at the Hills Are Silent Podcast. Our YouTube again is at the Hills Are Silent. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, game recommendations, anything at all, hit our email inbox, hillsaresilent at gmail.com. We'll catch you in the next episode.